Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The call to confession this morning is from Isaiah chapter 7. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it, either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Thus far the reading of God's word. We often forget the context of many of our uh, beloved Christmas verses, like these Old Testament prophecies, come in the context of stubborn unwillingness, disobedience. So God uh, comes to Isaiah, uh, invites the king to ask for a sign, and uh, the king will not. Uh, So here's your sign anyway. Ahaz, a baby born to a virgin. For the shepherds on Christmas night, the sign was a baby in a manger. Ahaz was a faithless king, fearing other nations instead of trusting God. And God gave him a baby named God is with us. And before the baby would be old enough to know right from wrong, the nation that Ahaz feared would no longer be a threat. Jesus fulfills this. He comes to us as a baby. He removes all the threats that we fear. We may not be like King Ahaz, refusing to trust God when God has already given us a sign, but we do all struggle to believe the good news rung out on festive days like Christmas, that a Savior is born to us. We fall back into uh, fear of threats or uh, other uh, enemy nations, whatever the fear may be. And this is often a sin to be confessed. So let's confess our own sins before Almighty God. Please kneel if you're able. And our prayer, our prayer of confession is One more familiar Christmas scripture passage today. Our sermon text is from Luke chapter 2, first 14 verses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Uh, the wonder of Christmas, for revelation of your generosity, your compassion, uh, in uh, humbling yourself, your son, uh, coming to us as a man, being one of us. Thank you for revealing all of this to us in your word. Your word is precious to us, sweeter than honey. May it be so now as we read once again and as we consider uh, your words. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 2. Hear God's word. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. 
So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Well, I pray that you've all had a happy Christmas. This is the third day of Christmas. Uh, Christmas tide is a season. The world often celebrates Christmas, and it's over now, and they move on. Uh, but we remember the 12 days of Christmas, uh, climaxing in Epiphany on January 6th. So we'll, uh, we'll spend some time on Christmas uh, a Christmas theme today and next Sunday as well, Epiphany. Uh, the theme today is that God gave the world the gift of his own son. His son made man to save men. Uh, so from Luke 2, uh, this, again, when the holidays come, it gets a little bit less expository from the pulpit, but I will be taking uh, various verses and con- considering them in turn. The first two verses, the, the thing to gather here is that Jesus was born into a real world, of governors and taxes, of inconvenient but necessary journeys, even when pregnant. This, this is a, a real world, a difficult world, a world where governors give executive orders that are extremely inconvenient. That's what Luke 2, how it begins. The humiliation of Christ. That's the theme here. Jesus comes into that kind of world and submits himself to such things. Joseph is a descendant of David. David's house uh, was uh, once great and mighty, the, the greatest of kings, the most glorious of kings, defeated so many enemies, expanded Israel's borders. David sat on the throne uh, with all of his enemies under his feet. Now David's house has been brought very low. They can't even get a room in the village inn. The humiliation of David's house has already um, been happening. Joseph is experiencing it. We don't know why exactly. There's no room for them at the inn. Did the small town know their questionable circumstances and condemn them? Maybe. The text doesn't say. Uh, Were there just so many people there from from the census? Possibly. But we don't know. Uh, A feed trough with a little bit of hay was the best bed that they could manage uh, for a baby. So one thing to recall here, this is the humiliation of Christ. One thing to recall here is that God, Jesus, could control every aspect of his world. God's providence is total. It's complete. Uh, God uh, could have uh, arranged the circumstances of Christ's incarnation in any way he wanted to. And Jesus comes to us in this way. He's willing to humble himself to this to being born in uh, some kind of stable, uh, animal dwelling with a feed trough, a a manger for a crib. This is a true 
story. Here's another similar true story. France, 1966. A young man is cleaning the kitchen in a Christian hostel, uh, a ministry hostel kind of uh, house. He hears a knock on the door about midnight. It's late. It's an older gentleman, and he says he's attending the conference they're putting on the next day. So the young janitor scrounges up some cereal for him to eat, some padding for him to sleep next to him on the floor with about 50 others already asleep. The next day, imagine the janitor's surprise when at the conference, this older gentleman stands up to speak at the conference. The supervisors come to the young man and ask, did you let this guy in last night? We had the best room all set for him. Didn't you know? This is Francis Schaeffer. True story. Schaefer never let on and willingly takes the lowest place with the rest. That's a, a small story, a small inkling of what Jesus did, his humiliation, his willing humbling. humbling. Later, Jesus teaches us to humble ourselves and God will lift us up. Jesus shows himself willing to be humbled. The old song puts it well, out of the ivory palaces, into a world of woe, to a feed trough in a stable of animals. So that's the first point, the humility of Christ. From the humility of the stable in town, the scene changes to just outside of town. The angels, born to shepherds, is a savior. Born to you. And I want to hone in on that phrase, born to you, in verse 11. The, the, the mystery of the Incarnation is great. The doctrine is a wonderful thing to meditate upon. Uh, another aspect of the Christmas story, and the Heidelberg Catechism always sets this up well, right? Whenever the Catechism gives us some doctrine, the next question is usually, and how does this doctrine benefit you? And that's what the angels tell the shepherds. There is born to you, this day, a Savior. I've watched a, a TV story of uh, a girl named Daisy, an orphan, a lowly kitchen maid as World War I begins. And she, uh, as an orphan, still finds herself with a boyfriend heading off to that great war. And so they're quickly married. But the man, young man dies on the front. And so she's widowed just as quickly as she was married. An orphan, a widow, a scullery maid, basically. And then she receives a letter from her father-in-law now. And he befriends her. He has no one either. And he seeks her out. And he asks her if she can be his special adopted daughter. She's an orphan with no life outside of her drudgery. And the beaming look on her face is just priceless. Somewhat confused from the newness of being loved, having a loving father. It's, it's water to a thirsty soul. And she says, I've never had anyone like that. I'd like that very much. Love aimed directly at her for one of the first times in her life. And so back in Luke, there is born to you, the angel says. To these obscure, poor shepherds, there is born a Savior. And not just to those shepherds, to you and to me. To raise you up, God has given you a child who will save these are good tidings of great joy. Uh, let's do a little secret about love. Love is most potent when it is specific. 
we uh, sometimes get wrapped up in the uh, the emotion, the sentimentality of Christmas, and s start thinking about uh, the, the whole world is, is uh, wrapped up in this snow globe of love, right? But love is most potent when it's specific. And God specifically uh, gave Jesus, uh, and, and we, in turn, we love our children. We don't love other children, we, we love our own children. So you give them, because you love your children, you give them this food, and you don't give them that food. You, you give them those presents instead of these. And so God also has given you Jesus to be your savior and your king and your shepherd. There's a specific man who is Jesus. He, God gives Jesus to this real world, inconvenient and humble, dark and sinful, hurting and helpless. And that means you. Love is potent when it's specific. Next, we go to verse 14. Notice the high and the low there. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So, the high and the low. We've considered the lowly stable already. We see the angels sing now. Glory to God in the highest, or to the highest God. We sing that, this in the angels we have heard on high, right? We sing it in Latin. Gloria in excelsis Deo. God is on high, but he has bowed low to consider and visit and to redeem, to raise up the lowly. And the next line is peace on earth. So high meets low in the manger. God the Son, who reigns on high, now lays on a pile of straw meant for cattle. Out in the field, high meets low. Bright angels in the sky tell dirty shepherds the news. When Jesus comes, one of the first things he says in John's Gospel is that he is the ladder on which the angels go up and down. Jesus is the bridge between high and low, heaven and earth. So that's uh, verse 14, uh, the high meeting the low. In the uh, sermon outline, of, I have next the incarnation. And in my shorthand notes I have in front of me, it's a, I just have explain incarnation. Right, okay. Incarnation. From John 1.14, right? The Word became flesh. That, that's one of the best ways to put it. We sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, right? Hail the incarnate deity. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has existed since forever, eternally begotten of the Father. But at one point in time, about 2,020 years ago, he was conceived as an embryo and born as a baby. We know the rest of the story. The baby winds up on a cross. And it matters who dies on the cross. That matters. That's why the incarnation is so important. It couldn't be just anyone who suffered unjustly and was crucified. Thousands of people were crucified by the Romans. What made Jesus different? What made that death so important? It was the incarnation. It was because Jesus was the God-man. And the thief on the cross uh, notices this. He points out to the other thief that they got what they deserved, but this man has done nothing wrong. Pilate testified to the same thing. Even if a man is executed for something he didn't do, that cannot atone for his other sins or for other people. I saw a story in the paper recently about a man in Detroit who um, was in prison for decades and was just now released. They, evidence has been uncovered that he didn't do it. He was in prison for decades and now released. That's tragic. 
but it can't atone for sins the way the incarnation uh, brings God uh, in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, to be a perfect sacrifice that God accepts. So, again, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Every one born of a woman is stuck with a sinful nature. Anyone born of Adam's race is tainted and unable to save. Someone from outside had to come in and save. And so it was, it was that Jesus comes to us in the manger. Uh, so that, this is the reason for the God-man. Uh, the theologian Anselm wrote a wonderful book on that that I... Uh, uh, recommend to you. Why the God-man, Anselm wrote. Uh, Jesus didn't just appear to be human, uh, but he, he, didn't, he didn't leave his divinity to come to us in Philippians 7, where it says that he emptied himself. That doesn't mean he shed his divine nature. No, he stays uh, the second person of the Trinity and becomes, takes on flesh, becomes man. So anyone born of Adam's race is tainted and unable to save. Yet one of Adam's race has to satisfy God's justice for mankind. That's the conundrum which the incarnation gloriously solves. Isaiah 59 puts it quite well. The Lord saw it. It displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, his own righteousness. This glorious prophecy of the coming of the Christ. So God revealed himself to us. Just like our words reveal who we are, right? When we, when we speak, then, we, then our character becomes known. So God's word reveals to us who he is. God sent his word to us. And now we know what God is like. And it's glorious and it's good news. We know that uh, he keeps his promises to redeem his people. He goes a long ways out of his way to reconcile with his enemies. He loves his creation enough to join with it in a way. So that's my best attempt to explain the incarnation. Uh, let's apply just briefly here. Uh, three words, rejoice, redeem, and respond. Rejoice, first of all. Rejoice and be glad. Some people tend to be Scrooges by nature. God doesn't give us this option. We need to work against that, if that's your personality bent. God does not want fear or crankiness, but gladness. Maybe you like to be contrarian. Everybody else is happy. How silly. But God sent Jesus to give joy to the world. Don't begrudge it or set yourself above your fellow creatures by saying they don't deserve it. Of course they don't. That's the point. So we need to have the humility to enter into a joy that's not of our own making, that others are already enjoying, and enter and take part along with them. Rejoice. The second word is redeem. Redeem. Because of the incarnation, we want to redeem uh, the, the worldly, uh, the physical world, I should say. Uh, redeem your stuff. Stuff isn't evil or tainted. That was a, actually a Pharisee doctrine. Pharisees bought into that quite heavily, that our physical nature uh, contains our sinful nature, that, that the sinful part of us is, is the skin and the, and the, the physical, physicality of what we're living with. Paul was a, a Pharisee. He uses that kind of language sometimes. He uses flesh 
as a synonym for our sinful nature. That's why he, he does that. But, but, but uh, of course, it's a metaphor. He wasn't falling into a, a sin there, into an error, I should say. No, we can use flesh as a metaphor for sinful nature, but it's a metaphor. Jesus came in the flesh, still lives in the flesh, yet without sin. So we look forward to being perfect and faultless in resurrected bodies. So redeem your stuff. Uh, redeem your stuff. Uh, we don't long to escape from the physical, uh, but for our bodies and our stuff to be redeemed. And that's a real possibility. It's hard for us to imagine because we know the doctrine of total depravity, right? Every part of us is tainted with sin somehow. So the physical world is also fallen. So it's hard for us to imagine. We've never seen a perfect person in the flesh. Jesus is the only one. But we know it's coming because he was the pioneer. He was the forerunner. He's the one who did it first. He lived in the flesh without sin resurrected in the flesh now. We're heading for that. So, uh, redeem your stuff. Consumerism is a problem, but, um, but God started to fix it, not by spiritualizing everything, but by having his son take on flesh to redeem the physical from its corruption. Your body and your stuff can be salvaged from sin. Uh, even feed troughs, even Walmarts can be redeemed. Believe it or not, yes. So, use your body, use your stuff rightly. Respect it as part of God's good and redeemed creation. Don't let it lead you into sin. This is why presents are so fitting at Christmas time, right? God gives us a physical human gift. So, we give physical gifts. Kids, one thing I realized this year about presents is that when you open your presents, you've got to rip the wrapping paper, right? There's something to that, I think. When God gives us the gift of Jesus, for, for us to be able to use, to have that gift really, Jesus' body had to be ripped. He was ripped open so that we could have the gift. That's the present that Jesus gave to us. So redeem your stuff. Redeem the routine too, the routine of life. Jesus went through many routines in his life just like we all do. He has ten fingers and ten toes. He fell asleep every night. He got sick. Mary changed his diapers. He was breastfed. This isn't blasphemous to consider. He became a human being to save people. So redeem your routine. Washing the dishes. Jesus handled dishes of some sort. I, he ate daily bread. He probably washed a few. He worked a trade. He was apprenticed to Joseph for a time. Doing schoolwork. Jesus, as a boy, studied the scriptures and the world that, God, that he made as God. I've mentioned the diapers already. All these things are not things we do to get through them so that we can get to more spiritual things, necessarily. They are the life God has given us, and we learn about God in them, doing them. Redeem that routine. And last of all, respond. Respond and accept God's gift to us. Uh, you've heard uh, the saying of a proud person, he thinks he's God's gift to the world. Right? Well, Jesus really is God's gift to us. And it takes humility to receive a gift. We need to receive a gift. I'll close with this story. There's a headline in an Argentina paper a few years back. Police seek a man who inherited $6 million and doesn't know it. They're, they're looking for him. The Chilean Tomas Martinez, 67, disappeared from the places he used to visit. Through detectives and lawyers, his relatives and dozens of friends are seeking him, as well as the police. 
He thinks it's because of the hot checks that he signed a few years back when his downfall into alcohol and homelessness and drugs began. But he's wrong. He's inherited $6 million, and he doesn't know it. This gift came on behalf of his wife. They got married 40 years ago and separated after a few months, but the divorce was never processed a few years back. And she had inherited, had inherited a fortune. So three weeks ago, Tomas's two brothers hired two attorneys who are assigned the task to find him. So the detective comes to a bar that the beggar visited often in Nueva Feria, a popular food and clothing market. They missed him by an inch. While the detective asked for him, he slipped out the back door. He's not only ignoring that he's rich, he doesn't know that he can now return to Chile, where the charges for check fraud have long expired. His story is one of the saddest of all unclaimed inheritances. It's not just that a regular guy with a good and comfortable life is missing out on a few years of wealth. It's that this man who has nothing, who is living in misery, has lost the chance of transforming his life for his lack of knowledge. People of God, this is the world we live in. We seek joy and happiness in all the wrong places. And every year Christmas rolls around and the message comes loud and clear again that Jesus is God's gift of reconciling joy to the world. The gift goes unclaimed. People live like guilty fugitives inside, running from God, faking it with people. And all the time, God and his messengers are seeking out the guilty to proclaim news of their acquittal, of the rich inheritance waiting for them, peace and joy. God gave the world the gift of his own son, made man to save men. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great gift that you have given us in Christ. Thank you for the wonder of the incarnation. Thank you that you have given this gift to us, put it in our hands. As the apostles wrote, they they handled and touched the word made flesh. Lord, you have uh, put your word into our hands and we have heard with our ears. Lord, may our hearts receive this gift and let every heart prepare him room. We uh, offer up this prayer to you in the name of Jesus. Your word made flesh. And we sing as he talks. exhortation. Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Thus far the reading of God's word. Every Sunday here at this table, God gives us a hint of incarnation. The bread, the wine, are not God himself, as Jesus was, but they represent him. They represent him physically. And we are to accept this, to receive it. There will come a day, as Job declared, when we will stand in our resurrected body before Jesus, in his resurrected body, and in our flesh we shall see God. 
We have a hint of that here in two ways. In the bread and wine that we take and eat, we see Jesus, who we need to take and receive very intimately. As in what we eat and drink, we're careful about what we put into our bodies, right? But in, a, in another way, we also see God in this ritual, sacramental meal, in the one presiding at the table. Jesus meant for his under-shepherds to stand in for him. So without any effort at pride or presumption, I say, you're to look at me and the church officers who distribute the elements and see Jesus in us. We are flesh and blood like you. Jesus is flesh and blood. He is feeding you as we have prepared and hand you these elements. The point here is incarnation. So let's receive Christ's gifts. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. We invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you're acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.